Hey everyone, welcome to episode 300 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. We celebrate this milestone with a very special episode in our Artists Asking Artists series with our guest, Mark Adamus, and our co-host, Rajesh Jodhiswaran. Mark probably does not need an introduction for most of our listeners. However, it is safe to say that he has become a modern icon in the landscape photography community. His style of photography has inspired and propelled many other photographers, including myself. Mark's influence popularized the fantastical and dreamy look that has become mainstream over the past decade, much to the chagrin of old school practitioners and the excitement of up and coming digital artists. It is safe to say that Mark single-handedly revolutionized landscape photography as we know it. Before we dive into the episode with Mark, I have a huge favor to ask you. Producing this podcast is expensive and it takes a lot of my time. If you value these conversations, please take a moment to support us on Patreon. Hit pause and go to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen, or look for a link in the show notes. Patreon is a great way to financially support the show. Supporters are thanked on the show, get access to bonus episodes, and at some levels of support are able to listen to episodes early. I'd like to thank the following amazing souls who have done just that. Thanks to Jim Davis, Mark Davis, Astrid Preez, Michael Weinhold, Scott Hubner, Elizabeth Adams, Jeff Zadow, Michelle Aronson, Hank Erdman, James Lane, Andrea Sagazi, and Rick Pott. It brings me a lot of happiness to read those names aloud on the show. Thank you. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Mark Adamus and Rajas Jodis Warren. All right. Well, I am excited to kick off the fourth iteration of our Artists Asking Artists series here on the podcast. And with us today is my colleague, Rajesh Jodhiswaran and Mark Adamus. Thank you both for joining me for the podcast today. Thank, Thank you. you, Matt. Yeah, it's exciting to finally uh, to see you in, uh, virtually in person, Mark. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, let's just quickly uh, knock out some introductions. Rajesh, if you want to just quickly introduce yourself and then Mark, you can go after that. Sure. Uh, good morning, uh, Mark, and good morning, uh, Matt. Uh, it's a real honor that uh, we get to talk to one of the most incredibly famous uh, artists and landscape photographers of our generation, Mark Adams, today. And... Um, uh, my name is Rajesh Chothaswaran, and I'm a landscape photographer based in Northern California, and also awesome. a co-founder of the National Landscape Photography Award. How you all doing? Uh, I'm uh, Mark Adamus. You've probably seen my work uh, online, magazines, books, whatever. Um, I'm based all over the place. Uh, I've been traveling for 20, 25 years now. Um, my business is based in Glen Allen, Alaska, um, and I have uh, properties in Oregon and uh, Hawaii. I'm also originally from Oregon. Yes, I lived in Portland uh, for two years in 2013 to 2015, and so I got to hang out with Brian Adelberg and Jeremy. Yeah, right on. Brian's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, he's he's a really cool guy. 
Yeah, he's, he's super cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we have a laundry list of conversation here to get through. And so I want to give us as much time as possible for that. So Rajesh, why don't you just go ahead and kick us off with your very first question? Oh, thank you, Matt. Uh, so Mark, you just mentioned that you're originally from Oregon. Yes. If memory serves me right, I recall you mentioning that you were born in the Northeast of the United States. Yeah, I was born in Maine. Maine. My social security number says uh, Maine, but uh, okay. yeah, most of my growing up was done in Oregon. So I consider myself a uh, Oregonian, but native Oregonian. Okay, great. So, uh, I was just wondering if I was imagining, but uh, thanks for clarifying that. So I don't, I don't have the Maine accents, you know, as you can tell. <laughs> sure. So tell us a bit more about your childhood and how your love of the outdoors came out to be. I think I just love the sense of uh, freedom that the outdoors offered. Um, I was always looking for that uh, in my life. Um, I really knew what I wanted to do from a young age. Uh, I wanted to travel. I wanted to explore. Uh, school for me was just... Uh, pretty much just waiting for it to be over with. Uh, and I was always very motivated. Uh, I studied uh, meteorology at a young age. I studied geography. Um, I was always sketching, drawing, uh, and I was just creating uh, imaginary worlds as a child. If I couldn't, you know, escape, I was trying to imagine myself uh, being in another place uh, or even another time. And just... Uh, just waiting until I was able to make it happen, really. Uh, I didn't uh, really learn very well in school. I'm uh, not an uh, excellent uh, by-the-book kind of student, but uh, I kind of have that artistic mind where I need to try everything uh, myself to see if it works or not, for, for better or worse, obviously. Uh, but that was just the way that I kind of found my way through the world and, uh, you know, ended up where, where I'm at. Uh, you know, nature, obviously, you know, is, uh, you know, it's a great freedom. It's a simplistic way of life. Uh, it's it's just, a, a, you know, as soon as I escaped and, and went exploring in the outdoors, I just, I, I found my calling. I mean, I just said, this is it. You know, this is, this, this is just this uh, amazing, uh, not just freedom, but uh, visual immersion and, uh, the landscape, uh, and just, uh, you know, it had, it, it just grew on me really quickly. You know, I could come up with an adventure and I could put myself to this task of trying to figure out how to accomplish this, uh, thing, whether it be climbing a mountain or doing a long distance, uh, you know, ski traverse of a, a range, you know, in the middle of winter or even making a photograph. It was, uh, here's a challenge, and uh, let's see if we can uh, find some unique way to accomplish that and enjoy uh, just the simplicity of life that that uh, environment offers. You know, I've been in plenty of places where it was the only thing in front of you was uh, to make the image, to not fall off the cliff, to, you know, uh, cook food, to, you know, you just don't, you're not surrounded by that 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 uh, constant distraction, you know, that constant uh, era, you know, of distractions that, that we live in here. You're not being pulled 10 different ways at once. It's like you wake up and here's what you're here to do. And I love that. Yeah, there, <clears throat> there's something calming about 
being in a place where you have to focus on your survival more than normal. And I've, uh, for me, sounds like for you too, it actually is kind of calming to the mind. Like I'm just focused on, you know, making sure I have enough food and I have water and I have a shelter. And, yes. And I love No I love doubt that. at all. Um, you know, my idol uh, and inspiration growing up, the late Galen Rowell, uh, he would often say, the higher I go, the more simple life becomes. You know, and I, I fully agree with that uh, to a point, certainly. I mean, I've been in some some pretty stressful situations, you know, up high in the mountains or, you know, doing whatever. But, uh, you know, even when I look back on those times, I think they're almost addictive in the sense that you realize that there was a clarity of mind that occurred at those moments that is very difficult to obtain any other way. Yeah, and those experiences are incredibly difficult to translate into photos as well, I find. Mm-hmm. I think with that, Mark probably answered like half a dozen of my questions already. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so, but we, we'll still ask again. You know, you can still dwell on them a little bit. But thanks for uh, that explanation, Mark. Um, so I have heard that your mother has safely kept all the weather maps that you created as a child. Uh -huh, Is that yeah. true? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she has. Uh, she has them somewhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big geek when it comes to like the meteorological science. So uh, even as a child, you know, I think that was a big, important way of connecting to a place. And uh, yeah, I used to graph uh, the weather data out of uh, get the data out of the newspaper and put it on a wall graph. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure she she still does have that stuff lying around somewhere. And also a lot of my sketches and yeah, drawings may, and things of that nature. They make good pictures That's for amazing. for a book that you might publish sometime yeah yeah very <laughs> very possible yeah i love that you have a connection with maps because when i was a young kid my parents would you know take me camping into the colorado mountains and you know of course when you're a kid you're super bored and you know you and especially riding in the car and they're like here look at this topo map and see if you can tell us what's on the map and if you can see it around you and that hugely connected me to the landscape at a young age in terms of like memorizing uh, landmarks and place marks um, and I grew super fond and familiar of those places through maps so I think it's cool that you said that that's right yeah yeah for sure you know the topographical maps are you know really where my roots are too you know in terms of like learning how to interpret the landscapes and find routes and and hike and everything but even before that as a child uh, my parents they had a triple a membership they didn't want to buy me maps so they would they would take me down to the triple a office and they would just tell them hey we're thinking about going here and here and here and then they would they would give out all the free guidebooks and free maps, you know, for those places. So I I love just reading about that, you know, all those places and looking at the the road maps as a child. Just <laughs> it was the only kind of maps I could get my hands on, you know, when I was nine years old. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, at what age did you realize that you wanted to have landscape photography as a career, Mark? Uh, probably about twenty-two. Uh, 23. Now, I mean, mind you, I get, I am a landscape photographer, but I mean, my business is that I, I own a tourism company and we provide logistics for people that want to get to the ends of the earth. And one of the things is we do is we teach photography 
Um, but the trips are not just solely photography. You know, we uh, have plenty of trips where, you know, you go on an adventure and it doesn't matter whether you've got a camera or not, you're going to have an unbelievable adventure in some of the most remote places in the world. And that's my passion. And I was guiding wilderness trips when I was 17 years old. You know, I was always the guy that all my friends looked to, to design the trip, to provide the logistics, you know, to figure out the routes, to, you know, I was always the one that was organizing and getting people together to go do these crazy adventures. So uh, in that context, you know, I've been in my present career even longer uh, than that. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like whenever people talk about your workshops, they're like, yeah, I'm I, there's no way I could figure out how to get to that place without Mark's help. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's, that's the core thing experience that I want to provide people. You know, I do do about a third of my workshops are instructional photography and we do, you know, instruct photography on all of them. But, uh, you know, my passion is just figuring out a way to get you to uh, a place that is just pure immersion in the wilderness, you know, environment in a, in a way that, you wouldn't have been able to just walk right up on yourself. You know, I want to be able to provide you with that experience, show you the rest of the world that is not on Instagram or wherever else. Yeah, totally. Well, I'm going to shift gears a, a little bit, but I know we're going to come back to some of those topics as well. But um, Mark, when, you're, when your name comes up in the landscape photography community and with my friends, the very first thing that we talk about is our admiration for how audacious you have been in terms of pushing the art form, especially in regards to your exploration of remote and wild places. And I'm just curious, like what drives you to continue to push the envelope in this way? Well, that is my passion. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, making images is like a fun uh, aspect of that for me. Uh, I love to speak about my adventures through uh, my imagery, but if you took the photography away, then uh, exploration of wilderness lands would still be the first thing uh, that I want to do. Uh, it's a big world out there. I feel like everybody's just going to the same places. Uh, I feel like that's true now more than ever before. Uh, it's extremely predictable. Uh, you, you know exactly where people are going to go for the most part. And uh, I just love to get away from all that. Plus, I mean, I feel like if I don't know what to expect in the landscape, uh, then my connection to it is very pure and very mm. raw. Uh, you know, they say there's nothing like your first time, right? I mean, it's like you, you can go back to you can go back to a landscape as many times as you want, but it's hard to recreate that impression, that sensation, that connection, that whatever that you had the very first time that that you experienced it. And uh, I feel like my eyes are wide open and I'm just ready to absorb everything that the landscape uh, is there to provide, is, is there to show me, uh, is there to offer uh, when it's my first time seeing it. So that's what really drives me to continue my explorations. I love that. I, I feel the same way about new locations that I've never been to before. It's uh, There's something about seeing a place for the very first time that for me, sparks a tremendous amount of creativity in terms of trying to understand it, trying to make sense of it, trying yeah. to, you know, I'm just super curious about all the things I'm seeing around me. And I'm, you know, I think that for me, that sparks a lot of creativity and it sounds like for you, it's the same way. 
Oh, for sure. No, no doubt. No doubt. I love, I love just solving this, you know, from a photography aspect, I just love, it's like a new puzzle, you know, every, every day. It's like, how do I, you know, go about this, you know, the process of trying to find where to obtain the best light atmosphere, you know, subject matter, whatever is, is as exciting as anything. I, I just love, you know, having that new challenge in front of me all the time. Yeah. So you mentioned that the photography is kind of secondary to the exploration and the adventure aspect of things. And I'm curious, why photography? Why not, uh, you know, painting or um, or writing uh, stories or things like that? Why have you chosen to use photography as your means of expressing? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I've always been uh, a big fan of uh, the two-dimensional medium. Uh, like, you know, I was always sketching, uh, drawing, a uh, little bit of painting, uh, definitely a lot. Uh, but, you know, it just, uh, it's just, it's easier to carry a camera with you, you know, <laughs> for one thing. You know, I'm in some pretty harsh environments, you know, painting doesn't hold up well in 50 mile an hour winds. I mean, you can kind of paint from memory, but, you know, I think there's a, there's a very unique uh, connection that photography has with the reality that uh, we're experiencing at the moment. I mean, certainly photography uh, these days, you know, there's a lot of mixing and blending, you know, that some people like to do as far as subjects and, uh, you know, everything else. But for me, I, I do, you know, feel like, you know, when I want to describe the trips that I do uh, to people, uh, photography is uh, the very best way, most effective way uh, to do that. And it's the easiest uh, for me to involve myself with when I'm out in very uh, remote uh, areas. Yeah. I don't consider myself to be a, a great writer by by any stretch. Uh, you know, I do like to write uh, to supplement, you know, my my images. But uh, maybe it's just uh, you know I like to move around uh, quickly. Uh, patience is not maybe my my strong suit. Uh, I <laughs> Rajesh is not like yeah. I've been on some trips with Mark. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like to constantly you know move 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 and just uh, kind of uh, always, uh, you know, be able to capture what I see uh, instantly, you know, in the camera. And then I come back and I kind of say, hey, you know, how can I tell this story even better? How can I uh, optimize or enhance this image in a way that uh, really brings forth the mood and the feeling, you know, that I have for the place? Uh, of course, I'm not really into mixing, you know, different subjects from from different times, especially if they're a permanent feature in the landscape that everybody would see. Uh, so I just feel like photography is that, uh, you know, quickest, most unique, most effective connection that I can give people to my experience. Gotcha. Well, thinking back on your progression as a photographer, um, I know you were super active on the early days of NPN. I'd love to hear you talk about how you developed your unique way of making images, as I'm sure it wasn't just something that just happened. Yeah, boy, I mean, where where do we start? I mean, I have had a long career. It started in film, you know, so there was a big jump right there. Uh, you know, back back in the film days, I feel like, you know, with color film, especially, it was very difficult to uh, process your own, you know, film and have a lot of control on the back end. Uh, so, you know, at that time, 
you know, like I already mentioned, Galen Rowell had a big uh, influence on me, that style, you know, of, you know, I'm going to use a smaller format and carry it to remote places and, uh, you know, make as many images as possible, uh, you know, but I would use so many techniques in the camera at that time to create the, the final image, you know, and I think it's really shifted away from the you know, these are the things that you're doing, you know, you're not putting, you know, so many filters on, you're not, you know, there's just so many things. Uh, you know, when digital first came out, I don't want to make this too long of an answer to your question. So I'm trying to think like when digital oh, yeah. first came out, um, you know, I had, uh, you know, kind of been skeptical of it because I'm skeptical of all uh, new technologies really doesn't matter what it is. That's just me. Uh, and, but I had already been using a little bit of Photoshop, um, because I learned from the scanning program that I used. I used this Nikon software that was embedded in the scanner that you can, uh, color correct and push and pull things a little bit, uh, when you're in the process of scanning, uh, the Chrome. So, uh, when I realized that I said, Hey, this is fun. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the same kind of control I have with the digital printing. And I, you know, got Photoshop and I started, uh, you know, experimenting to see what that could do with my, uh, scans, you know, my film, you know, and then I went to digital and the big hurdle to overcome was that the raw files, you know, from the digital cameras at those times, they just looked so flat and, and colorless and, and just boring mm -hmm. compared to, uh, you know, my Fuji Velvia uh, scans. And right. it was just like, whoa, now, now I'm going to have to not just push and pull this and color correct it a little. I'm going to like really, I'm going to have to take it up a notch here. I'm going to have to learn how to do uh, some Photoshop work. And of course, at that time... Uh, there really wasn't anybody teaching uh, artistic Photoshop. It was more just like really rigid and boring and technical, just recipes on how to do things. And, you know, having the artistic background that I do, you know, I just kind of wanted more out of it than that. Uh, I already mentioned I don't really learn well by reading or listening to uh, what other people have done. That's... Uh, that's just me. Uh, I love teaching, um, but, I, you know, it's just, that's the way I learn is I have to just do, I put, put my hands on it and do it and experiment. Yeah. And because there really way. wasn't any good way to learn at that time either, you know, it just led me to the development of the system uh, that I created, which replaces the way that, you know, Photoshop typically works uh, as far as blending and layers and selections and masks and all these things. And uh, it leaves me with just a quick and easy way to just paint with a brush you know, and do this adjustments that I want to that way. Uh, and very quickly, I might add, too. You know, I don't like spending a long time on technical processes because it takes me out of the zone. It takes me out of that flow state. Uh, so, you know, for me, uh, you know, that's kind of how I arrived uh, at the process that I've been using uh, ever since. You know, there were a number of years there, obviously, as you guys know, where, you know, there really wasn't anybody else making images uh, that looked exactly like mine. You know, everybody would, you know, there was a number of people that, you know, they were like, what is this? You know, they didn't like it at all. They were like, thought that I was doing all this stuff that I wasn't doing or, you know, Photoshop was just a new thing back then. So, you know, they couldn't figure out what I was doing. They thought I was just building the whole image from pixels, you know. 
And, uh, you know, they made it as many people, you know, loved it as hated it at that time, you know, but my images, nevertheless, they were very unique. Uh, and now you look at it, there's just so many, uh, so many gifted artists out there that all have their own refined, like individual styles and ways of approaching the art. So I feel like the art has really matured, you know, now it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's beautiful to watch. Uh, and of course, you know, everybody, you know, the general public, they're all processing on their phone all the time. So, right. you know, everybody yeah. gets yeah. it now. We're like, okay, we take the image, then we process it. Right. But, uh, you know, for me, you know, my techniques haven't really changed a lot ever since I started, you know, doing this. I, I just love to just paint the painting, just using, using brushes and that's, that's it. Yeah, my friend uh, Mason Cummings was telling me that he took a workshop from you, and um, he's he was describing to me kind of one of the techniques you use, which is basically like you have a duplicate layer of your image, and you're adjusting the colors on it, and then you're taking like a a different brush, probably like a clone stamp or something else, and then applying those changes subtly to the main file using the other file, and it's to me like that process is very um, unique. Like, I don't think a lot of people have used that. And I actually, I was like, screw it, I'm going to try that. And oh. I just did it this last uh, yeah. last trip I did on because I had a, you know, I had this section of this panorama where the clouds were all washed out, but I still had the raw file from, you know, where the clouds looked fine. So I took those, I pre-processed that section of it, and then I used the clone stamp tool from two files and just kind of brushed in back in the clouds that looked okay. And I was like, okay, I see what he's doing. All right. Yeah. You know, I'll still do the clone system. Sometimes a lot of times I just work with the history brush cause it's faster and you can go back and just take something out later real easily. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I talked to Adobe and they said they've never seen anybody do anything like that. So I think it's pretty, pretty unique. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's part of some of the ways in which you've kind of pushed the art form um, in, a, in a direction that people probably weren't expecting. That just happens, you know, when you're an artist, you know, that, and that's just the way you are, you know, you got to find your own way, right, to do stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very unique and, you know, it's very helpful, but you also need to know how to use it with a subtle hand, you know, it, can, it cannot be heavy-handed, so well, I, okay. I myself use for the combination. Any, for any system, this is true, for any system, yeah. Right. No doubt. Okay. If I, uh, if I may, like, you know, take us to a different path now, I have a, um, a question about uh, travel. So, like, you know, you've traveled to some of the most remote areas, especially the Arctic, Patagonia, and many other mountainous regions. When you return to those places over the years, I suspect you see changes in the glaciers and other natural features. Uh, some glaciers may have become lakes, for instance. Have you seen those changes and how do you feel about them? What is your take on that aspect of our planet? Well, um, yeah, I mean, you can't help but see changes as landscape photographers. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to, to what extent, uh, you know, the cause uh, or to what, you know, cause those, what caused those changes? I, I mean, there's a lot of lot 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 of reasons for them i mean we've seen you know like 
sea stacks just all of a sudden up and collapse on the coast, you know, right? Look at Olympic, right? I mean, there's lots of things. I mean, if you're talking specifically about changes as a result of uh, climate, you know, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's hard to say what what is directly related to that, what's not, uh, you know, the glaciers uh, up in Alaska between, you know, when down in the Juneau area where we're based from the summer, uh, melted a tremendous amount between the year 1700 and 1850, uh, almost as much as they melted between 1850 and the present day. And that's just a fact. Uh, you know, I am definitely believe a believer of man, you know, having some impact on climate change. Uh, definitely uh, our, you know, use of, of fossil fuels and you know, putting carbon into the atmosphere. I think it's pretty much a scientific consensus that that has some uh, impact on, you know, global temperatures rising, sea currents changing, all those things. Uh, but as far as, you know, I'm personally concerned, uh, it's, you know, uh, it's very hard to uh, to say, to, to talk to people in a definitive way and say like, this is for sure the solution and this is for sure what is causing the problem and this is for sure what we should be doing about it so you know i like to just uh be mindful you know of our impact on the planet and uh you know i'm always you know a big promoter of alternative uh energies uh which i think is going to be ex extremely important you know i've made a lot of investments uh, in that realm uh, you know, we have solar, we have electric cars, you know, at home, we can rent electric cars wherever we go, uh, you know, but there's, there's a, there's a pro and a con to every decision that you make, you know, anything you do in life is, is using energy. Anything you do is, is, is making a footprint. So, you know, with that footprint, I think that you're making the best thing that you can do is, uh, enlighten people as to how precious these places really are you know i have places that i've gone you know that are you know in in terrible danger of being you know completely lost forever not just because of climate change but because of urban encroachment because of pollution because the government doesn't have any financial incentive to try to preserve those lands you know we're talking about places in brazil places in mexico places in pakistan you know, lots of places around the world that I go, I feel like that that are not on most tourists' radar. Well, if I can say to those potential tourists, hey, look at how beautiful this is. Wouldn't you like to come here? Would you like to see this amazing, pristine place? And they come there, and then all of a sudden the government's like, hey, wait a second. You know, maybe there is a reason why... You know, maybe there's some financial incentive for us to set aside this area as part, to not cut down this rainforest, to, you know, stop, you know, to clean up the trash, to not, you know, use disposable plastic for everything. You know, there's there's all sorts of uh, ramifications of what we do, you know, as nature photographers. And it's hard to get around the fact that we're going to consume resources as human beings that like to I really do just about anything at all in life. Uh, but, you know, with that uh, comes a responsibility to, you know, be as mindful as we can, 
and to try to give back, uh, you know, and focus on, you know, not just, you know, the, the same old places that have been done time and time again. You know, I don't, I don't want to go fly around the world just to go, you know, take the same shot that I can find on Google of the same place that's already being touristed to death. You know, I, uh, you know, want to say, hey, you know, what about this other area that doesn't have any protection, that doesn't have any tourists, you know? Uh, there's definitely, uh, you got to speak, you know, when you're talking about actually creating change uh, that might help these places, you know, you got to speak their language and, and their language is give, you know, give me a financial incentive, you know, to protect this place, to not cut down this rainforest, whatever. And, uh, you know, I think tourism can be uh, a part of that solution. Uh, it, but I think that it also can be detrimental in, in you know, in, in other ways. So yeah. that's just the, the line that we walk. And it's hard to say this is exactly what I think about it. And this is exactly what I think the solution should be. But that's kind of how I approach it myself. Yeah, I think that okay. makes a lot of sense. Uh, I. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that we're alive, we're contributing to the problem in some ways. I think the key is like, how absolutely. Do you, how do you mitigate that? And, you know, to your point, I think tourism can play a role in protecting certain places to a certain degree. And I think tourism can also make the problem worse. So it's like <laughs> you're damned if you do, damned if you that's, don't. That's life, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a tough one, though. I think we all grapple with it as as photographers, especially landscape and travel type photography, I think it's something that's always top of mind for me anyway. It's like, do I really need to go to Iceland? Do I really need to go to that? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good segue uh, for my next question. So I would love to hear you tell us about your approach uh, to identifying locations that are of interest to you and how much time you spend getting to know those areas before offering workshops at them. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, as far as identifying it, you know, I really I gravitate towards the mountains. Um, you know, even prior to doing photography, mountaineering, climbing was my, you know, passion outdoors. So uh, that's always been, you know, where where my photography has 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 been focused. Um, I love the uh, colder areas of the world, not just the mountains, but the rainforests, uh, you know, uh, around the mountains. I love the uh, temperate rainforest environment. Uh, I'm not much of a, like an arid desert kind of guy, but that's just me. I don't don't mean to offend all you desert guys out there, but I'm just like, you know, there's a lot of uh, simplicity in the desert and there's a lot of complexity in, in the rainforest. But uh, for me personally, I love to be in the rainforest environment and where that kind of meets the mountains is kind of like the, the best possible place for me. Uh, I think that's probably why I do a lot of trips in New Zealand, uh, Patagonia, fjords, uh, Alaska, Pacific Northwest, all those things, you know, it's because that's just kind of my favorite landscape. Uh, as far as how to identify places to go, um, uh, I've never been there before. Uh, that's the first and foremost thing, you know, uh, you know, if I've, I'm, I'm always exploring, I'm always going back to, you know, explore new places. Uh, I even do that with groups. Um, a lot of my groups uh, want to learn from me uh, about how you know to approach a place for a first time, you know, from a photography perspective, how to break it down uh, and simplify it and find, you know, how and where and when to take those photographs. So watching me 
go through that process for my first time uh, is really, really beneficial to them, especially some of my more advanced groups. Uh, some I, you know, do, I deal with a lot of other professional uh, photographers as well. Uh, they probably make up about a third of my clientele on a lot of my longer trips. And they love to see just, you know, well, if I've never been there, how would I go about, you know, finding the best route, finding the best perspective, finding the best light, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I don't ever have to have been there uh, to, you know, conduct a, a tour, to can get, conduct a workshop, but I have to have good connections in that area. I have to know what to expect as far as transportation goes, as far as the people that I work with. Um, I employ about 40, 45 people around the globe every year to help uh, facilitate various logistics uh, for our groups, you know, from porters to, you know, climbers, guides, uh, drivers, you know, other logistics people, permitting people locally. Uh, so, you know, you got to have good uh, connections in those areas. But as far as the actual photography goes, I'm probably going to be able to teach you even more if I've never seen the place before in my life than if I've gone there a dozen times. So uh, that's kind of the way that I approach it. Uh, there's certain areas that are really remote uh, and really foreign to me personally, like the Middle East or Pakistan, something like that, where, okay, I've got to have at least experience working in that region, you know, and have good logistical connections in that region before I feel like, you know, bringing a group of people on a new route. But as far as the what we do in the landscape, uh, you know, the only kind of pictures that I take usually are the first time that I ever saw that thing or that place or whatever. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's uh, what I like to teach people too, is I like to not know what to expect when I'm approaching a landscape because uh, it just uh, really opens my mind to the, the possibilities that are around me, and it allows me to react to whatever the landscape's given me. That's <laughs> awesome to hear that. I'm, I'm very similar now. I, I hate scouting, personally. I, I would rather just hike in the in see what I can find kind of a thing. I just I Yeah, find... you and me both. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you more about the logistics stuff, because I personally, I mean, I can do logistics. It's fine, but I'm, it doesn't it's not fun for me, like it's not exciting for me. So I'm curious for you, is it more of like an ends to a means or do you actually kind of enjoy the process of making those connections and figuring out, okay, how do I'm, I'm gonna have to rent a helicopter and then I'm gonna have, have a pack raft and like, do you enjoy that side of it or is it more just like unnecessary? Uh, yes, I do, yes, do. yes, I do. I do enjoy that logistical side of it, uh, believe it or not. Um, I know it's complex. Uh, it's a lot of thinking. Uh, it's a lot of multitasking, um, but it's a fun puzzle for me to solve. It's a fun challenge to solve. It's what I do uh, really well uh, is keeping all the logistics in my head and trying to figure out just, you know, how are we going to make this happen? And when you give that to your clients, when you give them something really special that they just never could have imagined doing in that way, in that place, uh, then it's just, it's just so worth it for me. You know, I just, I love it. You know, it's, it's a great gift that I can, that I can give to those people. And, uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, it's fun for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of weird that way. I'm like a logistics <laughs> geek. Like I'll figure it out. Okay. No, I, I love that. 
I, I had kind of another follow-up to that because, um, you know, I'm a people person. I'm a, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So, you know, I, I, I love studying people. But, you know, when people get involved into the mix of those kind of logistics, it can obviously greatly complicate things. So I'm curious, like, I know one thing you probably grapple with all the time um, is the idea that when you have people joining you on these workshops, they have lots of different things that they want to accomplish that might not always mesh with kind of your logistics and the plan and what's going on in your head about how you're going to get from A to Z. And, you know, some people want to want to get the shot, you know, and then other people just want to explore the location that you're taking them to. So I'm curious, how do you make both types of people happy in the field, knowing that you have all of these logistical puzzles that have to fit in perfectly to make the trip a success? Uh, well, I describe my trips, you know, in our approach really well uh, to people uh, prior to, you know, their attendance. And if it's a more exploratory type of trip without specific uh, goals in mind, then we try to explain that to people. Uh, if it's a more instructional trip with uh, more specific goals, specific places in mind, we try to uh, let people know. Um, but anybody that's ever taken one of my trips, they're gonna get uh, they're gonna get a really good shot. It might not be the shot that we talk about, but all of my materials, all of my philosophy, everything that we always talk about is about avoiding, you know, the iconic, you know, locations and the places where there's big crowds and everything. So people, people usually do show up with an open mind. You know, I don't get uh, anybody that's showing up on my trip that's just hunting, you know, an iconic, you know, shot of a place. You know, they. They are always uh, ready for adventure and ready to discover something new uh, because we do a really good job uh, explaining that to people, I think, before they come. Uh, certainly, you have different types of people uh, on trips, but uh, I think you're dealing with the best of the best here in photography. Uh, I've never met, you know, never dealt in life with a, with a better group, you know, of people than, than photographers. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, as a... You know, as a guide and an instructor, I mean, definitely it's, uh, you know, something that's, you know, I think falls on me to be able to explain myself and my approach and have people come, you know, ready, ready for that, you know, and I think I do a pretty good job of that. So yeah. that's, that's how I would. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I would explain. So it. no, no Mesa Archie on, on your itinerary, right, Mark? <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. I mean, occasionally we're driving by, you know, someplace like that. And I'm like, hey, you guys want to do it? You go do it during the day. All right. You don't go do it yourself. You know, stop by, have a look, say you've been there, take your selfie, whatever. It's not, you know, people know me well enough to know that, you know, it's just not something that, that, that we're there to do. Yeah. Love so, Mark, in your adventures, what kind of uh, safety and security concerns exist in some of the places you shoot or offer workshops in? And how do you go about mitigating that risk? Well, I mean, this is uh, going to be like what, like a one hour podcast? I mean, we could, or two hour or whatever. I mean, this, that's like the whole thing right there, right? I mean, that's, there's, there's so many different types of, risks that you are trying to uh, mitigate uh, when when you do tours and when you do adventures, you know, to really remote places like I do. I mean, t pick one. You know, are we talking about, you know, 
bears in Alaska? Are we talking about, you know, checkpoints in the Tibet region of China? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? I mean, there's, there's, there's like, give me, give me one, one example. I would love to hear about some of the more remote mountainous regions, like, you know, Pakistan, Afghanistan, that, that, that part of the world. Cause I think no local people yeah. that, yeah. And know them really well. Like one of the guys that I work with really closely down there, uh, Atif, I'd known him since the Nature Photographers Network days. You know, we've talked for 20 years online. You know, he, you know, you, you got to really make connections and get to know those people personally to where you have a lot of trust, you know, in them and what they're telling you, what they've got to say. I mean, as far as Pakistan, I mean, I've hardly ever anywhere met friendlier people, you know, than there. Um, but certainly, you know, you've got to you've got to really make friends with the locals, trust in the locals. You've got to understand the government, you know, system for applying for permits and permissions uh, to go into certain places. But I mean, it's uh, don't just take what they say for granted either. Uh, not the locals, but, you know, our government, you know, makes a lot of enemies for whatever reason here in the United States, let's just say. Right. You know, and there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of government level, uh, you know, information out there. You know, if I, you know, if I look up a location, you know, like let's say I'm going to Saudi or something to the Tabuk region, go photograph some sandstone. There's going to be a laundry list of alerts and reasons, you know, listed on every government website to not go there, you know, and to what extent that's actually reality and to what extent, you know, it's just, you know, the government's not liking each other, not getting along, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the people are great everywhere. You know, if you have great connections with the people, you know, and, uh, you know, you're not uh, doing any, you know, you're not culturally offensive to people. You're not doing anything to, you know, uh, you know, discredit them or, or to, you know, trying to infringe on, on their territory. You know, it's, uh, you know, like we're always hiring villagers. We're always hiring lots of locals. We're always taking the locals recommendations on how we should do things and where we should stay. And, you know, you don't want to come in and just impress yourself and this is the way I do things and this is the you know and you guys all need to fall in line right you've got to really listen to people you know you've got to really embrace you know what they're telling you and why they're telling you that so you got to be a good listener and you've got to you know really try to work with people and make those local connections on the ground uh, to ensure that what you're doing uh, ends up you know with your safety and in at the forefront uh, but, you know, it's there's a lot of misinformation out there, too. And I really want to stress that I am way more in danger walking downtown at night in San Francisco than I am in Pakistan. I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't care what anybody has to say about it. It's that. honest to God truth. <laughs> <laughs> haven't been a haven't been to San Francisco. I believe that <laughs> I want to say the same thing about Portland. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so, there's a lot of issues around here. Yeah. So, so so Matt, Matt is a vegan, so we will bear some details here. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I know you had told me about your culinary experiences in Pakistan and how you enjoyed it. And I also spoke to some, yeah, yeah, some folks that yeah, you probably don't want to know all of this, man. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, so I can handle it. Okay, 
So I also spoken to some folks that, uh, groups that pretty much stuck to MRI type, you know, like pre-packaged mediums. So, you know, I can understand like, you know, where they're coming from. And, uh, so you, definitely there's a sense of adventure and on your side. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to. Well, yeah, I mean, culinary arts uh, does happen to be another interest of mine. It's another artistic uh, interest of mine. Um, so, yeah, we always make sure people eat well on our groups. And, hey, Pakistan's some of the best food anywhere, you know, it's for sure. Um, but, yeah, those guys, those guys, uh, let, let's just say they made sure that we had uh, really fresh things to eat all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take that to mean what you want. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark, a um, little serious note here. So last year you had a horrifying and heartbreaking injury. And many people know that, you know what? I achieved so much and it's time I took it easy. But you went right back to your adventures within a few weeks and what, a couple of months? Well, I had to take three weeks off of leading trips, but believe me, I tried to come back sooner than that and realized very quickly that that was not a responsible approach that I just was, you know, I'm, I'm always eager and I, but yeah, I, you gotta, you gotta take time to heal sometimes. So I, you know, yeah, it was, it was, you know, the injury that, uh, Rajesh is talking about, if you don't know, was, uh, I posted a little bit about it on my website, but it was just, it was a freak thing. Uh, you know, we were base camping up on this glacier in Alaska and just setting up camp, not with a regular group, not with a photo tour group, just friends of mine. Uh, and uh, I just was admiring the scenery while I was carrying a big pack and slipped on the rubble, which was on top of the glacial surface. And I just kind of went down into a big uh, ravine, big hole, and landed face first and just shattered my whole shoulder and uh, broke the arm in six places. It broke the socket so badly that they weren't able to uh, set the shoulder back in place uh, without doing additional surgery uh, to uh, make sure that the socket would have enough stability to hold the shoulder, you know, the humerus back in place. And uh, it was a very complicated uh, shoulder surgery. Um, and uh, I'm lucky to have uh, most of my range of motion and not really any pain in that shoulder uh, at this point. I did some really long backpacking trips this year, really long adventures this year. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's as good as it can get, but yeah, I mean, to, to anyone who says, oh, I think I'm going to take it easy. I'm like, what are you doing? You've got one life to live. This is it, man. Get out there. You know, there's risk in anything. You're more likely to die driving to, you know, I'm in L.A. right now. You're more likely to die driving to LAX than you are, you know, on a glacier in Alaska like 10 times over. I guarantee it, man. Have you seen how people <laughs> drive here? It's like, yeah. Come on. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, you're um, doing better and that yeah. you still no more shooting with your left hand. Or no more using your camera with your left hand? No. Oh, God, that's tough. That is really tough. Oh, for anybody that's ever tried to shoot with one hand, I feel for you, man. That is, it, I thought it would be a lot easier. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, just uh, both hands on it now. That's what tripods are for, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you, if you ever tried to operate a tripod with one hand too, you're going to find out that's yeah. everything's tough. I totally get it. <laughs> that's funny. So, um, you know, I know you mentioned uh, Galen Drow already a few times. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mark, uh, your son's name is Galen, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. And uh, I, I suppose he was named after Galen Drow? Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're a massive fan of Galen. And yes. Um, so just tell us the, in a little bit more detail about how Galen inspired you and shaped your career. I think that uh, Galen and I are real similar uh, personality-wise. Um, we're both just go, 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 like really high-energy uh, people. Um, I think that, uh, you know, at the time that I first started photography, I was into mountaineering and climbing at that time, and that's how I knew Galen Rowell. Uh, for me at that time in my life, it was kind of every trip was – I'm going to go climb this or I'm going to go do this route or I'm going to go ski tour this range. And that was like, that was my objective. Uh, and then when I, I became aware of his work uh, through the American Alpine Journal and uh, I, I saw his, uh, I mean, he was a very gifted writer about his adventures as well. So he really brought it uh, on all sorts of different levels. Uh, and I became aware of his photography, so I started looking uh, into it more, and I read his book, uh, High and Wild, uh, and then I got the Mountain Light uh, book, and I said, man, this guy is, he just he just loves life, and he just loves adventures, and he just never stops, and I mean, that just, you know, I could really relate to that, and, uh, you know, I thought, man, if I could take pictures even half as good as this guy, that would be really a lot of fun, you know, it would be a really good way uh, for me to tell people about what I'm doing. So, you know, I'd already gotten a camera at that point. Um, I'd been gifted a camera at that point, uh, but I wasn't really that serious about it. It was mainly just documenting things. And, you know, so I started using the same film as him and used the same filters and got wide angle lenses like he had and just kind of looked at his artistic approach and, you know, how it is, you know, when that photo bug bites you, you know, it's, it's all over. You want to do everything's, go get the photo, you know, now. Uh, so, uh, the thing that I really respected about Galen, you know, especially now, even more so now looking back on his, you know, career, having done this myself for a couple decades, uh, is that he really pushed the envelope into places and perspectives that nobody else ever thought of, you know, before or since, you know, his images were tremendously unique and distinctly his own. And that spirit of adventure and exploration really runs deeply through all of his shots. So, you know, I really feel like if I had not had somebody to show me that bridge, you know, from where I was at with the climbing and, and mountaineering uh, to the photography, then I may have been on a completely different, you know, path in life. You know, I think I would still be involved in the tourism industry in some way. Um, but I don't think that I would have made my name for myself uh, through uh, the medium of photography the way that I did. So he really had more uh, impact than any other person on, you know, what I ended up doing for the rest of my life. Great. Um, Mark, um, one other question, first of all. Um, so as the cliche goes, uh, behind every successful man is the successful woman and vice versa. You have told me in the past that uh, your wife is something of a renaissance woman that that um, she is 
could you please provide a peek into that side of your life and uh, how you both managed to keep such a strong union and raise a child? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we yeah. do have a little bit of a unique relationship, that's for sure. I mean, there's uh, when they say there's somebody out there for, for everyone, you know, I'm really lucky, I feel like, to to have found her because I don't think there are a whole lot that are that are like uh, my wife, Annie. Uh, she, uh, you know, we've been together almost 20 years now. Um, she uh, has a degree in art history. Uh, she has been a lifelong uh, artist, uh, but she is a dabbler in many, many things. Uh, I like to focus. I like to zero in on I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to do it a thousand percent. She's more like I'm going to do a little of this, little of that, little of that, little of that. But she uh, having that art, the history, you know, part of the art background uh, is, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. Like, I mean, if she's she is the person to tell you, if you want to know what kind of socks somebody was wearing in 14th century Italy, she will be able to tell you that. I mean, just this obscure information, right? It seems that way, but she has so much knowledge across all uh, art forms, especially three-dimensional art forms, you know, sculpture, uh, fashion, uh, metalwork, uh, jewelry, all, you know, she... She is, uh, she's a great uh, critique of images, too. Like, she she can paint. She mm. can draw. She just does it all. And, you know, she can always find that one thing, you know, that she would change, you know, about an image that nobody else sees. That's a good idea, too. So she's just very, very well-versed in, in art. And she enjoys travel um, because she enjoys cultural history. And cultural history and artistic history are very uh, inextricably linked. You know, we've traveled around the world to see galleries and museums uh, of all kinds and all places, uh, and I get a lot of that too out of that too. And I feel like that that really helps uh, to shape and inspire my own, you know, view of you know my own artistic direction. Um, you know, even when we were first getting to know each other, we we really kind of took it slow. I think we had both been in relationships where the other. Uh, individual kind of became a little bit too, you know, attached there, maybe a little too clingy, needy, whatever word you want to use, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, you're not going to see me today. Well, you know, you obviously you hate me, you know, it's, it was never like that, you know, for us, we were just kind of like, you know, uh, you know, we both need our space. I don't think that it's a situation where, you know, uh, we would gain anything from being together all the time. I think we both might be that kind of person that it didn't matter who they're with, you know, yeah. if they're with that same person all the time, it probably wouldn't work out, you know? And by that, I mean like just being together in the same house, cooking every meal, you know, doing every chore, just, you know, so what we do is uh, we really just try to maximize our time together. And I think it's that way with my, uh, me and my son too. Uh, you know, certainly I do travel a lot, you know, but at least I get to control my schedule, uh, which is something that you can't say, you know, maybe for every, you know, uh, parent that works a lot, you know, a lot of times they're, you know, subject to the whims of their job, whether it be in the military or, or what have you. I mean, uh, you know, thank goodness for anybody that does that job. Uh, but, you know, I'm really lucky in that I get to, uh, shape my schedule around the times that it works best. Uh, for my son to either take a, a leave from school or uh, around his breaks, 
so that uh, we are able to really get the most out of our time together. Oh, he's uh, he's a teenager now. Uh, maybe hanging out with parents is not the 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 first thing on his mind. So, you know, I feel like okay, well, I could be there every day, but I would just be there. You know, he's going to need his time to see his friends, to live his life, to do his thing. But when we do see each other, we're having meaningful experiences, and I think that's why we've all grown uh, really close over the years, is because we always have these really uh, meaningful experiences uh, to draw from every time we do see each other. Uh, luckily, he still enjoys traveling with us. Uh, we take some of his friends with us, too, from time to time. And, you know, it's uh, uh, just kind of the way that we've always we've always done things. I think that, you know, not to get, you know, too off topic, but I do hear, you know, about, you know, situations where, you know, a passion like nature photography might cause, you know, some strife in a relationship or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I married into this, like from the moment that we were first together on the first day, I was a professional nature photographer. So it's, it's always been like this, you know, for us. So I think that's, that's the key thing. And, you know, to that point too, I would say she, my wife, Annie, she grew up an only child um, and uh, she did not have a good, parental relationship she did not have a good parental situation at all so when you're an only child and you don't have a good parental situation uh you learn to be very independent you know you learn to content yourself and be you know self-motivating and self-starting on everything and you you learn to treasure your time you know uh, doing your own things you need that in your life so i think she was very much that way and i was always that way so uh, that just uh, works out best for us. Sounds like a yeah. perfect match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, but don't get me wrong, you know, because we do miss each other a lot, you know, and, and it's good that, you know, we can talk, you know. There's only one person that I talk to probably every week of my life, and I talk to her every day of my life. Like, there's never any day we don't communicate in some way, shape, or form, so yeah. we're... Yeah. We're always there for each other. We're always bouncing right. ideas off each other. We're always talking. My, um, That's brilliant. My son's 15 and has zero interest in photography. I'm curious, has your son showed any interest in, in your work or in the in your in Yeah, your I mean, I think if you just kind of take uh, all the things that interest me and then you do the opposite of whatever that is, <laughs> then that, that pretty much best describes um, the situation. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's uh, to a lot of extent, I think, uh, you know, teens will be teens, man. We all got to find our own way. Uh, you know, I had a great deal of respect for my father. Uh, who was a PhD biologist, uh, but it just, it was, it was not my thing, you know, going through all that, uh, you know, science and book learning and school and going out and doing the site assessments, and all this, it just wasn't my thing, you know? I wanted to go my own direction. And that was especially true when I was 15. I was like, right. <laughs> okay, God, just don't do what my parents are doing. Just anything but that. I've got to, I want to see what the other possibilities are. But then I kind of like, I look back on it and I, I have more respect, you know, for what my parents, you know, really did, you know, at this point, you know, looking back on it. Uh, but yeah, my son, he's, uh, you know, He's probably more, you know, built for the times here than I am. You know, if there's, if, if the computer's doing something I can't figure out like this morning, I mean, he's always the one, you know, his art is on the computer. You know, he's doing all this, uh, 
you know, he's going to be one of those guys that creates the metaverse or something. You know, he's always, you know, he lives in a world that I have a hard time even understanding. But thank goodness, you know, he uh, really does enjoy the connection to what's in front of him as well. You know, and he he does enjoy travel and he gets a lot out of that, too. Um, but, yeah, I've never tried to push photography on him. I've never said, hey you know, I'm going to get you this camera and we're going to go out on trips until you learn how to use it. You know, I've always, my parents always just let me pursue my own passions and I just want to let him, you know, support him and what his passions are as much as I can. Love it. Um, so I just wanted to tell our audience that if, like, because they cannot see us, but we can see each other. The last question about Annie and Galen was what made Mark the most excited and I could see the joy and happiness and how you your eyes lit up and you know the talking about them it was so special um yeah so i just yeah, wanted to say sure. that to our audience oh she's a special woman for sure and galen's is galen's a special son no doubt i love it well i have i had really just like one or two more questions on my side i wanted to go back i i really loved what you said early on about um the connection with the experience and with reality and how photography can like take you back to that experience. And obviously you are obsessed with nature and wild and wilderness just as much as I am, I think probably more. And which is really hard, by the way, my wife makes fun of me all the time. Um, <laughs> so at the same time, you know, you make, you take a lot of artistic liberties when you edit your work and so I'm really curious for you, like, what is your creative process for conveying that special experience to your viewers while instilling your artistic side into the photo? Like, how do you, where do you kind of yeah. mix those two things? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it all starts with what I believe the viewer, my viewer would expect to see, you know, when they go to that place, you know, what, what would be their reality? You know, how am I going to describe that, you know, to them? Cause I'm leading tours, you know, and this is, you know, if I take Mount Rainier and I, you know, warp it or something into the point where it looks like Cerro Torre or something, and then I go take people to that place, then that's, uh, you know, not, they're not going to have, you know, an accurate representation of, of what I saw. But on the other hand, what is really an, an accurate, you know, representation of what you saw, right? So I I think that it for me it starts with subjects that I think are permanent uh fixtures of the landscape. You know, you've got things like atmosphere, you know, which can be changing at all times and how the light interacts with the atmosphere, how the light interacts with the subjects can be changing at all times. Uh and those types of things in Photoshop are are really fun uh, for me to kind of enhance and shape in the best way possible. Um, but at the other hand, you know, if there's a, a tree growing on the bank of a river, you know, I'm not going to remove the whole tree. I'm not going to put the whole tree there. I'm not going to move, you know, the river into a different place, whatever. You know, it, it has to be something that I believe could have occurred, you know, at the very least. You know, everybody's going to interpret things differently. Everybody's going to feel places differently. Uh, certainly just the act of passing light through a lens, you know, warps and changes things a lot, you know, especially depending on your focal length, where the subjects right. are positioned, everything. 
but it has to be something that I believe that uh, my viewer, if in fact they did accompany me to that place, would be able to uh, recognize and be able to say, oh yeah, I remember that mountain from Mark's picture and it was lit differently and atmosphere was different, colored different in his picture, but you know, I remember the shape, the form of that landscape, those permanent things. So that's kind of the baseline for me is those, what I consider to be permanent fixtures of the landscape. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you for that. Uh, Rajesh, I think you're up. Yeah. Um, so we talked, you know, I think you covered some of these, but uh, who, who were your inspirations from the art world uh, and from photography world over the years? Other than Galen. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's, there's so, there's so much. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, as an artist myself, you know, I like to, I like to just create, you know, I don't like to say, you know, like when I was starting sketching and drawing as at a young age, you know, I didn't have necessarily any inspirations other than I just really wanted to do it. I just really wanted to, you know, uh, learn this myself, you know, and, and just find my own way. You know, that was what was, what was fun for me. You know, I think that to, to a certain extent, it can actually be beneficial to like, not look spe too specifically at, I want to emulate this person's style or that person's style or whatever. But now having done this for a long time, now I can kind of, and now I'm coming back and I'm saying like, wow, you know, I really respect what this person did. I really respect what this person did and, and everything. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, the late, great uh, painter Albert Bearstad on, on my trips. And I think one of the reasons why we, why we talk about his work and, and to a lesser extent other like Hudson River School uh, artists uh, or Frederick Church or some of the you know, people that shaped his work. The reason why we bring his name up over and over again was because he was really, uh, in, uh, in a lot of sense, the first person to go to some of what is now the national parks and see some of those places like Yosemite Valley, you know, while there were still natives, you know, living in, in the valley. And he painted those scenes and he interpreted them uh, artistically in a, you know, I think what we would consider is a pretty uh, loose interpretation by today's standards of what, you know, the place actually looked like. But the way that he used uh, light and luminosity, the way that that's used throughout a lot of Hudson River school uh, artists uh, is very attractive to us as photographers, I think, because the camera doesn't necessarily capture that. You know, the camera doesn't necessarily capture the a diffuse glow, you know, emanating from a light source, you know, like the way that that painters can, for example. So, you know, certainly uh, across other arts, you know, I have lots and lots of inspirations, uh, you know, from music to culinary to, you know, you name it. But as far as how they shape my artistic approach to photography, I don't know. And it's 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 hard to say, you know, there's uh you know, uh, I think definitely touring around the world with Annie and going to all these galleries and looking at all these great painters, you know, I love the Dutch realism. You know, I, I just, I love, I think a lot of that kind of bleeds into me. It just kind of maybe not like directly this person for sure has had an influence, but this style has had like an influence. 
on me. You know, I've always, I've always been like Picasso. What the heck is this? Like, why, why are we even doing this? Like, I don't even know, you know, but then you give me something like the Dutch realists, you know, some, you know, intimate life, still life scene. It's just like with this exquisite detail or you give me like a Rembrandt or something, you know, with this incredible detail and incredible accurate use of light and color and shading and tone or whatever it is. That's the stuff that's always really gravitated toward that I've gravitated towards. And I think that it, it must have had some you know, impact on my photography. It must have had some, you know, connection to what I do. But it's hard to say to, to what extent exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, related to that, Mark, uh, is there anyone out there, a photographer or an artist, you look at and think, gosh, I wish I could do what they do? Uh, no. There's not. He's being honest. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe that there is. No, I'm content with doing what I do. Um, my style hasn't changed over the years. Um, I, I've been able to create my own world to the extent that, that I want to. Um, I'm certainly uh, envious of shots that other people get in places. I'm like certainly really inspired by um, what other people do. Um, but is there somebody where I can say they're doing something that I can't possibly, you know, do that I really, really want to do? I, I can't think of anything. No, I mean, it's like this is this is what I want to do, what I'm doing. Well, I have, <laughs> I, had, you, I had one more question for you, Mark, and it talks a little bit about technology because it sounds like you have an interesting relationship with technology. I mean, you've been kind of an early adopter. You know, you've uh -huh. you love from, hate. Right, yeah, you, you went from film to digital, and yeah. you've innovated a lot of uh, processing yeah. techniques. Um, but um, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious about this new technology that's kind of emerging with AI, and it's a very powerful tool. That's honestly, we're starting to see it's it's creating better images than a lot of photographers are capable of ca capturing that look pretty realistic. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts of AI? as it relates to the future of landscape photography. Oh yeah, well I mean AI is definitely capable of creating um amazing images. Um it's just that those images that it's creating don't really have anything to do with what interests us as photographers. Uh so I don't really see them as being the same thing. I, I don't really see them as being in the same scope. I mean they're both two-dimensional mediums. Uh, but, you know, if I wanted to paint the painting, you know, from scratch, you know, of some fantastical place or of some iconic place or whatever, I would paint the painting, you know, or if I can't paint, maybe I'd have AI create it. But photography is different than that. You know, what photography is, is it's a representation of an experience. It's it's something that we are doing and we want to capture the specific moment that we saw that will never exist again. And uh, AI was not, uh, was not there. It was not seeing that moment at that time, at that place. Um, so people are always going to want to make their own memory, their own documentary capture of that time and place and to whatever extent they want AI to assist them with post-production of that image is going to be entirely up to them. I'm um, certainly, I think that AI um, will help the technical aspects of photography tremendously. 
Uh, we've seen it already with, you know, I mean, I can plug a shot into Topaz that's from 6400 ISO and it looks as good as I, if I shot it at ISO 100. You know, we've, we, we've, there's some amazing, uh, you know, technical aspects that'll help it with, help us, you know, uh, with like uh, blending, you know, multiple images that don't align properly because you were trying to focus stack it, you were moving the camera all over the place, you know, stuff. You know, stuff like that. So I think that from a technical aspect, it'll really help photographers. Um, from an artistic aspect, um, it's it's not art. I don't care what anybody says. Art only has one definition, and that is self-expression. It's self-expression. You yeah. know, if, if something's going to create the thing for you, uh, then that's not you expressing yourself. Um, I think that one of the one of the things that we have seen um, in other arts where AI has already, you know, come in, taken over, done its thing, like music, for example, is that uh, artists still want to create. They still want to put their own personal touch on things. They still want to learn how to play instruments. They still want to mix things. They still want to create their own personal uh you know, uh, product, you know, out of, you know, it, it's, it make it distinctly their own experience, you know, and I think photography is even more like that, you know, because photography, uh, you're not just creating something from the ground up, you are capturing a specific moment that you observed, you're, you know, capturing something that you saw. As far as illustration goes, as far as advertising goes, stuff like that, I mean, so, I mean, AI is probably is going to come in and probably dominate those those fields uh, as far as I can tell. I mean, for sure. I think the ability to create images quickly and seamlessly uh, is going to be really beneficial. But it's never, even on any level, going to replace our desire to capture the experience that we personally had uh, in nature. I, lo I, I love your answer, Mark. That's exactly how I feel as well. Um, one of the things that's I've found kind of a head scratcher for myself is I'm starting to see some landscape photographers generate images using AI and then showing it to their audience as if it was their landscape photograph that they created without any captioning or any mention that it was all generated in mid-journey or whatever. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why people would want to do that to use AI to replace their ability to create an experience. Well, for this very brief window in time right now, while it's a new thing, uh, just while it's a new thing, they believe that that's going to get them more likes. You know, they're going to get more attention. You know, but by the time AI, you know, saturates the market, you know, with these types of images, uh, I think there's, you're going to see the emphasis shift back on you know, uh, people that are actually, you know, capturing those places, actually going to those places, doing those things. Um, but certainly it's a topic of a lot of debate. I mean, anytime an art form changes, I mean, we saw it when Photoshop came out, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, well, you know, this person's manipulating their shots in Photoshop. Right. So how can we, you know, how can we ever trust them again? You know, how, why would they ever want to do that? You know, it's taken away from this image that they could have captured on film, which we can prove, you know, was an actual thing that they saw because it's a physical thing. We can hold it in our hand. You know, we can't do that with digital. 
you know, so there was a time when, you know, uh, you know, every generation or so is, you know, an art form changes. And I think that you'll see an emphasis, not just in photography, but throughout the artistic community in general, uh, with painters, with, with anyone really, you know, uh, an emphasis on creating new ways to prove or to reassure to the viewer that this is something that you saw or you created. Um, because, you know, look at, look at what the market for great painting is, right? You know, it's, you know, if you don't have some way to verify that you actually did this painting and not AI, then it's, you know, what's, where, where is it all going to go? I don't know. You know, it's, uh, there's there's a lot of different ways it can go but i don't think people are ever going to get tired of wanting human created art i think the market's always going to be much better for anybody that can say you know that this is an actual place that i did actually see and this is my art that i created from it so maybe there'll be some new way to verify that that we are not even thinking of right now because i think it's just essential uh and it's something that people want to have. I don't know if uh, this is a question that often comes up. You know, you shoot have quite a bit of drone these days, right, Mark? Uh, yes. Uh, so as a as a big shift happened towards drone photography from shooting with a camera in your uh, style of work, and like you know, about what percentage do you think is more drone these days? Um, probably about. Uh, I don't know, maybe I've always, I've always loved uh, aerial photography, you know, I mean, I always have done a lot of helicopter stuff and, and plane stuff. And, you know, it's a big part of getting to where I go. Uh, so, I mean, probably almost a third of my shots, especially from really remote areas are drone. Um, it's definitely a cheaper and way more environmentally friendly uh, way to get those types of perspectives on the landscape uh, than you would have if you hired a helicopter out to do the same thing so <laughs> got that going for it for sure um yeah i mean i don't really see like a big movement towards like drones or aerial photography because of the massive regulations that are associated with those things almost all of the r d on drones in the world is is in the military so you know it's very I mean, I saw a lot of excitement about it, you know, maybe like 10 years ago when they were starting to come out. But, you know, then they just got so massively regulated that um, they're probably not going to be that much that much use to most people. Um, but for somebody that's going to really remote places and route finding and uh, trying to uh, come up with aerial perspectives on things that are just too big to observe, you know, with your eyes like a glacier, for example, uh, it's... Uh, you know, very, very useful tool. Um, so I use them a, a whole lot uh, is, you know, and and not, you know, just for photography, but I use them equal as much for scouting. People are like, oh, aren't you glad you don't have to hike, you know, to this place because you flew the drone? And I'm like, no, actually, the drone has caused me to have to hike to this whole other place because I didn't realize the perspective was that good over there and now i've got a hike there on foot you know so i i use the drones um a lot just to kind of help with route finding and scouting and and gaining a better understanding of perspective 
um, so that I can use my time on foot, my time out there hiking, you know, more effectively to get to the the shots on the ground that I want as well. Um, but definitely, you know, when you see my shots, you might not think all oh, a third of these are drone shots. Well, you, you know, I fly a drone like, I mean, from like an FPV perspective, like I'm, I'm an expert at flying drones and I get into spots, you know, so tight, you know, and so small that I'm having to focus stack, you know, with the drone and I'm doing panoramas that are focus stacked and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it looks like I'm standing right there at that place. And I like those types of perspectives too. I mean, let's face it, there are places you just can't get to, you know, there's places that, you know, you'd have to mount a, you know, a month long, you know, expedition to have to figure out how to get onto this cliff to take this perspective. So, you know, I don't like the drones to replace what I do on the grounds, but I like them to open up new possibilities and also show me other things that uh, I could have imagined, you know, never imagined doing uh, from the ground as, as well as from air. Yeah, I'm the same way. I I would say about maybe, maybe not quite a third, but maybe a fifth of my images nowadays are mm -hmm. drone. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm still, there's still something about the experience of actually physically standing in the place where you, where you were no literally doubt. standing. No doubt. I would much rather just be physically standing there and better yet, if I can camp there, you know, and just really immerse myself in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also like, I've gained a newfound appreciation for certain subjects. Like for example, like the Badlands, you know, in the Southwest where, yeah. You know, you can really see kind of the effect of erosion and the interconnectedness of the geology. And you can just kind of, you know, understand the place, maybe on a little bit uh, deeper level and in some aspects, just by taking that uh, view on things. Yeah, I know we've we've both been to some of the similar places there, kind of around Mexican hat. But um, like on the ground, it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. But when you get in the air, it's like, holy smokes, what am I looking yeah, at? Yeah, I didn't know it was all like, look at this. I mean, you can really appreciate the reefs, you know, and everything. Yes. And how, you know, how those, you know, how those formed is really amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, Mark, we have one final question for you. Uh, who would you recommend our listeners learn more about that might be under the radar in the landscape photography space or people that you find interesting? Um, well, I would say, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that, uh, it doesn't just follow, you know, only my friends on Instagram, you know, I'm like, if you look at my Instagram, you can pretty much just, you know, maybe there's like about 50 former clients of mine on there, but the other 175 people on there are pretty much, you know, the people that I really respect, you know, what they're doing across all genres of landscape photography. So, you know, I've really tried to kind of pare that down and curate that as much as I can. Um, there's too, too many people to name. Um, probably my favorite, if I had to just pick one photographer working today, is a fellow named Ignacio Palacios. And uh, check his workouts. Uh, it's wildlife, it's landscape, it's just like... Oh my goodness, you know, just wow. And I mean, it takes every kind of different perspective on everything, you know, from the intimate scenes to the big landscapes and these and explore and just really, really some amazing stuff. I'm also going to give a shout out to my, to my good buddy and my brother from another mother from Greece, Panos Lascaracas. 
Panos Las Caracas is phenomenal, phenomenal talent. He's the master of walking up to absolutely nothing at all and making something out of it. His wildlife work is some of the most evocative uh, wildlife work that you're ever going to see. It's just filled with with mood and emotion and just uh, the way that he connects people, not just to the animal, but to the environment uh, is is amazing. Uh, and his landscape stuff, of course, is phenomenal. He does abstracts, does creative perspectives, but also you're probably going to see a lot of uh, shots that look like mine on there too, because we have been on a lot of the same trips together. We travel together a lot, and right. uh, he's he's just a good, close, personal friend of mine. So shout out to Panos as well. Awesome. Well, those those sound like great recommendations. Mark, that's the that's the guy who had the picture of the lion or something. Yes, looking for the rib page. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Oh wow, that sounds awesome. Well, Mark, this has been amazing. I am so glad we could finally make this happen. And thank you so much to Rajesh for coordinating and somehow twisting your arm to to make a go of this. Uh, we've been trying to make this happen for I don't know five years. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since yeah, the podcast started. Down. I know, I know. Yeah, but it was it was great. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Rajesh. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you, Mark. It's been a real honor and pleasure talking to you. You know, I hope I, it was the fun for you too. All right, yeah, absolutely. It's been great talking to you guys. Have a good one. Okay. Right. Well, thank you to Mark and Rajesh for taking the time to join me for that amazing conversation. What some listeners might not know is that I have been bugging Mark to join me on the show since I first dreamed up the idea of the podcast in 2017. And so getting him on for episode 300 was just an incredible milestone. Thanks, Mark, for agreeing to come on the show. And thanks to Rajesh for convincing him to do so. I also really appreciated learning more about the personal aspects of your life, Mark, so thank you for opening up and sharing that with us today. As always, I'd love to hear back from listeners about anything you gained from listening to the episode. I hope you'd enjoyed it, and if you did, please help us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or by sharing the episode on social media. I appreciate you a lot. Lastly, if you want to level up your photography, on the exact same forum that Mark did, NPN, we have a special offer for you. First, let me say that NPN is simply a wonderful community. The people there are generous with their time and offer amazing critique on photographs and provide thoughtful comments on your images. There's lots and lots of events happening on the site almost weekly, and it's just a great value for your money if you're into nature photography as much as me. For just $49 per year, you can join the community on NPN and gain access to these incredible benefits, including access to fantastic articles, webinars, thoughtful critique, discounted tutorials, discounts on software and books, just all kinds of stuff. It's a great place and I'd love to see you there. Just head over to npn.link forward slash fstop to join. Use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount. That's npn.link forward slash fstop. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.